CoinRobe Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRobe Plus at CoinRobePlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinRobe Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And we are excited to be back this week. We are thankful for a holiday, a little time to reflect on where the year has gone so far and the many blessings and good things that have happened to us. You're one of the good things that has happened to us if you're listening right now. And we've had a great opportunity by being out and about at the shows. I think back to the time we spent over at Rosemont in August and meeting some of the folks and the the comments because, you know, that was a time when we were really trying to find our way back with the podcast. And so many comments that came in from a lot of folks who said that, you know, when we took our little hiatus, a necessary hiatus, we all got to have a little bit of rest every now and again. But so many folks said, uh, you know, some kind words about us. And it's, uh, you know, that just I think about that often, just how important uh, this this product is for folks. And we definitely do appreciate that because we enjoy this hobby. We enjoy this hobby as a business. We uh, we're very fortunate. You and I are very fortunate to have it as our occupation, not just simply as an application, but have it as a vocation. And it's great to have this opportunity. So we're, we're really thankful for what, what's happened. Even when the times weren't good, when we weren't able to do this on a weekly basis, we're thankful that we learned from that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think about the... Um the people I've met, the things I've learned doing the show. And um, it, it's just, uh, it's just great fun. Uh, it's given us, uh, gosh, we're, we're three and a half, almost, you know, um, four years, almost uh, April will be four years. So uh, appreciate all those folks who have stuck around uh, for every episode. And certainly uh, those who've joined in later in the journey, uh, wherever, Wherever you've gotten to us, however you found us, we thank you for being here. Couldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without the sponsors uh, like CoinRoll Plus. Like, uh, gosh, last month we had Steve Davis, numismatic auctions all over the K, all all over the place. Uh, it was um, it was a good month for that. Um, yeah, we're, it's just you know this is this is a, a blessing, and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, there's a lot going on, though, and that's that keeps us busy. You know, I, I think one of the things you've been busy with the last, gosh, two, three weeks, maybe month now, is is one of the biggest stories in the hobby. You know to what I'm referring? I think you might be talking about the creation of the uh, CAC grading that there might be something in, that you have yes. in mind right there. Yeah. Yes, you know, you know, grading is, is always a contentious topic and always uh, important for the market. But the last month has just been a dizzying array. Uh, you can summarize CAC and then we'll talk about the other big development as well. 
Oh, yeah. And that one came while I was away for a while. And it was kind of surprising to see that. But uh, that's why the neat thing, you know, talking about that, the neat thing is social media and uh, and seeing some of the news that's coming down that way has really been very helpful to us. But going back to the CAC grading and uh, having the opportunity to speak directly with John Albanese, founder of CAC and the plans that they're having there. And of course, uh, this is like any other endeavor. I mean, it's like when you you welcome into the world a new child. There's a lot of uncertainty. You kind of wonder if it's going to be the way it goes like that. And right now, those folks at CAC are working hard to figure out the best way to make the CAC grading fit in with the existing uh, Certified Acceptance Corporation and the practices that they have now. And there's more questions than answers. And that's going to continue to be the way it is until the soft opening that they're expecting sometime in 2023. I mean, don't expect this to come to life in any time time in the month of December. It's not going to happen. They're still doing a lot of construction, still doing a lot of things, still answering a lot of questions, giving a lot of thoughts to things. They're going to do this the right way because you only get one chance to make a first impression, as they say. And of course, you know, it changes the landscape. We've gone for you know, 25 years with the, the two companies, 26 when you factor in that PCGS got started in 86, NGC coming in there in 87. You know, just the idea we've gone along with that. And there's uh, all kinds of suppositions. Is this going to solve all the problems? Probably not. Is it going to create some? Maybe. Who knows? But it's just the idea that, uh, you know, it's just something that those collectors and those of us who send off coins for certification, authenticity, that type of thing, then, you know, it's a little bit of a different scenario here. It's always great to have choices. It's always great to have options. Nobody is necessarily wed to one particular uh, avenue to go with. It's going to be whatever whatever your choice may be. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, there always have been other options out there with ANAX and ICG and a few other things that are that are going on. How does this play into all that? The collectors are going to be the ones to determine how it all comes down. When it comes down to it, the customers are the ones who make the determination on how the market is going to be dictated here with their satisfaction or dissatisfaction, whatever the case may be. So for us to sit here and pontificate in November about what it's going to be like a year from now, we have a very, very good chance of being totally wrong about this. So it's a wait and see type thing. We're going to have to wait and see what comes out of it. We're going to have to give it a chance to develop. You have to give your child a chance to take those first steps before you reach any kind of conclusions. So it's going to be interesting to me to see it. And it it bears watching. And I think everybody is watching it and watching it closely because it's something we haven't had come up in the last, uh, you know, four score and, you know, I don't know, four score, but anyway, we haven't had it come up in a while. I just had a trivia question last night about Abe Lincoln and Thanksgiving. That's where the, the four score came in. But, uh, you know, just the idea that, you know, we, we've got something different, something new, something to talk about. You know, last year, the big story was the sale of the uh, St. Gaudens. And now this year, I think the big story is probably going to be um, CAC grading that and uh, the number of million dollar coins that have been sold at auction. Th- that continues to, to boggle my mind. And we're still seeing a lot of big dollar coins out there and uh, getting the headlines. So, but CAC grading is in fact a big story and uh, we're going to have to see and it's going to be something we're going to be talking about for some time. But now tell me a little bit more about what you know about NGCX. 
So, uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, I have to say, you talk about uh, you were saying four score. I couldn't help but think of, you know, Thanksgiving was the, a day filled with a lot of scoring, right? There was a, a bunch of football games you you probably spent time watching. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, the NGCX was is the other big announcement of the last few weeks. Uh, and you you said something about basically the market will decide on this this grading situation this is uh, according to the folks at certified collectibles group that you know that own and run ngc among other collectibles properties this is really being driven by the market uh, the idea with ngcx is that Certain modern coins, 1982 to present, and certain dealers will be able to have them certified, you know, if if they fall into this category, and those slabs are now going to have a grading system based on 10 points, a 10-point grading system. Uh, where 10 is perfect, uh, you know, a 70, 9 is 69, and so on down the list. Um, I, I think that's how it works. And there's there's 9.1, 9.2, there's 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 um, decimals in there. So, you know, it's, it's going to have the same 29 different grades, basically, but the numbering system is going to be a little different. And there's a, a lot of discussion. A lot of folks go, oh, well, that's crazy. That's whatever. Why didn't they do 100 points? Or why the And, the, you know, the reality is from at least the folks, the officials involved in this, uh, what they've said publicly is this very much is meant to be attractive to folks who maybe don't have a familiarity with coin collecting and the Sheldon 70 point grade scale. Uh, you know, this is something that is obviously, uh, you know, it's an opt in thing and it's only a small number of folks at this point. So, you know, this is not like all of a sudden, oh, I wanted to send my coin in to get graded and they're not going to put, uh, you know, uh, and about, about uncirculated 50 on it, they're, you know, they're going to give it a eight or whatever it, that it equates to. No, this is only a certain number of modern coins. And, you know, I've seen a lot of folks who there's plenty of folks who are poo-pooing the idea. There's plenty of folks, though, who are standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, this makes sense to those folks who are already doing sports cards, who are already doing comic books. And, you know, I can show them the coin in the slab and they'll have an understanding right away of, oh, that's a 9.2. Okay, that's pretty good. You know, not that pretty good is a uh, you know, an adjective that we use in, in current grading. Very good is, but you know, it's just more accessible. And as you say, time will tell. I mean, this is this is obviously mass market driven. This is new audience driven. And, you know, I, I looked, I, I see in my Facebook memories, and I want to say that it was four years ago about this time. It was three weeks earlier, roughly. But uh, I had the, the joy and the pr privilege to take a mutual friend out to the St. Louis sh coin show. And we, I walked him around the floor and just pointed out different aspects of the hobby to him. And, you know, he had been sort of 
you know, he was he was coin curious, if you will. Uh, he wanted to know more, but didn't really know where to start. And, you know, I, I talked to him about the early slabbing versus slabbing today. And, you know, we just we just it ran the gamut. I think we were there two or three hours and meeting different folks. And he bought a few things and. You know, he he commented, you know, this is this is pretty not intimidating, but, you know, where do you start? What do you do? He's like, you know, you you were able to focus in and and I learned so much in that little time that, you know, it would take me a magnitude of time greater than that if I had just been picking up a coin world or picking up a, you know, watching YouTube videos or or whatever the case may be. And, you know, so I'm. I hope I'm perceptive to or receptive to, I should say, uh, to things that make the hobby more accessible because the 70 point grading scale is not something that makes sense immediately to folks. And, you know, there, there's a, a another numismatic writer who's he and I have talked about this a little bit. He, he says, you know, all the different ultra cameo and deep cameo and proof like and all, all these terms you know, it's one more barrier for folks. And, you know, there's, I think there's a way we can be welcoming without abandoning, you know, there's still going to be principles of grading involved, right? They're not all of a sudden, uh, you know, a very good coin is not a 10. It's still going to rank where it's supposed to rank. I think you can honor that tradition and create another channel and is it going to make money? Well, certainly the CCG folks hope so. I mean, that's, you know, but the more important thing is, is, is does it potentially open the hobby to more people who then, you know, once they're hooked, once they're intrigued, then you can tell them about, well, you know, this is, this is a new thing for moderns, but if you want any of these other stuff, it's a different system. It's a little more complex. But maybe then they feel like it's rewarding enough that it's worth the challenge of learning those intricacies. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It could be. Who knows? You know, is this new Coke or is this uh, a Tesla? You know, is, yeah. is this revolutionary or is it, um, uh, you know, problematic? I, I don't think it's either. I think it's a good thing. Um, but yes, only time will tell. And right now it ain't talking. Well, that's it. And it only comes down to if they hadn't done it, if nobody had taken that step, we would never know if it's a good thing or not. Because most of the comments I see in forums are related to the fact that this is going to be a way to open up the door for somebody who has familiarity in another area, like cards or comic books, to have something that they can equate, something they can relate to. So they don't necessarily haven't related to the object. It's not, you know, colorful pictures like, or a, you know, a man's standing here holding a bat, anything like that. I mean, now the coin, they can kind of have a, a common ground, so to speak, on what they understand the value of something to be. The market's going to determine the ultimate value, but just giving them the idea that they can find something where they can it can resonate with them. And especially, the, to me, the key point is the fact that it's some moderns. We're not looking to, uh, you know, change much of anything in the Morgan dollars, you know, and the, the peace dollars and and the, the the Stellas and all that. I mean, it's just like, 
you're thinking that a lot of the new people who are coming up interested in this are going to be looking at the the mint products from 82 and beyond, uh, getting into your your American Eagles and getting into some of those coins. So you, I think that they're they're onto something right there. And again, time will tell, as you said, but just the idea that doing nothing means nothing happens. And somebody at least is willing to do something. Now, the question is, was this a reaction to a new grading company? I don't know. I doubt it because it's something completely different and something not related. I think this is something that the folks have been thinking about, working on, and it finally got to the maturation point where they decided to go ahead and go forth with it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again, probably within this podcast. But just the idea that, you know, it's something that gets you talking. I mean, people are talking about it. People are thinking about it. People are seeing options that they didn't have before, and they have them now. So it's, I think it's something that, uh, you know, here again, I don't know how groundbreaking it's going to be. We'll find out in 23. Yeah, I, I don't think, to your point, I don't think this is something that they just, you know, flipped the switch and made happen as a reaction. That's, it's too, there's too much, no, no agency or organization uh, of that size works with that agility to turn you know, turn something this big over in the course of a couple of weeks, I don't think. Um, but uh, but anyway, it, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Tell you what's really interesting, though, is looking back in time and seeing what happened and then having the added perspective of, of that time. Um, so, you know, this week, looking at uh, what was happening in numismatic history, I found something that I normally would not have mentioned this. This is kind of a in a in a historical perspective, a small moment in time. But I found it interesting, especially in light of NGCX and, and the sort of hybridization, the cross-pollination coming from the, the sports card side, uh, because this week in numismatic history on November 25th, what happened on November 25th? In 2000, something called coin trading cards were published by Numismatic Cards, Inc. Now, I didn't before the recording, I was going to go look. I, I wonder if these are still out there in the sense that like, can you go buy some today? Not, I, I know they're not still being produced. I would imagine that that's, I've not heard or seen anything like this in recent times. There were a couple other things like this. I want to say Les Fox was involved in one of them uh, several years later. I, I remember it because it was early on in my time at Coin World. Um, and but it's you know it's a trading card with with a coin information on it, and I believe there's been some iterations of this over the years where uh, certain every certain number of packs you you opened you would get a a, a card that would win you a, a coin of some sort you know from varying price points and and all that so it, it kind of melds the. Um, the the trading card and sport card hobby with numismatic so uh, that to me in in light of this other discussion was really interesting um you know otherwise um 
you know, the <laughs> the other thing that's kind of that we'll have a callback to in a little bit was on November 26th, 1862, the United States purchased the Denver Mint site for $25,000. So Denver Mint, remember that. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But that's uh, that's what was happening this week in numismatic history. Okay. Well, I mean, I just did a little research, very little as a matter of fact, and uh, one of our online auction platforms does have that particular product you're talking about. There are seven of them available. Uh, four have been sold and seven are available right now. The asking price, $15. Huh. Huh. Well, I don't want them that bad. <laughs> I would I would rather use that money to buy another coin or metal. Uh, I say metal because that is that's an area probably that we don't talk about enough on the show. So I found it interesting looking back at this week in Coin World history to see a medal on the front page of Coin World. We uh, as as we're thinking about all we have to be thankful for. Uh, I said, let's go back to the beginning, the beginning of, of Coin World, that is, 1960. And what was in the November 24th, 1960 uh, issue of Coin World? Well, the front page has USS Enterprise launching commemorated on new metal. Imagine that, a non-US mint metal getting news coverage on the front pages of Coin World. That was a thing at one time. And uh, this was this was the big story. The USS Enterprise uh, was a nuclear powered, the first nuclear powered aircraft carrier, which was recently christened uh, September 24th, 1960, it seems. And uh, so this is I did not speaking of uh, items that are out there in the numismatic marketplace. I did not go looking to see uh, how readily available examples of, uh, of this metal are, but uh, this was struck by the Medallic Art Company of New York from designs created by the art staff of the Newport News Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company there in Virginia, and it was executed in relief, bas relief, by New York sculptor Ralph Menconi. Menconi did lots of numismatic art, uh, may have done other stuff, but I certainly have heard his name in a numismatic context before. Uh, this is, uh, it's really fun as a, as a fan of metals, as somebody who's, I bought a, um, a relic metal of a, of an American ship that has some, you know, like parts of the propeller melted down and used to strike them. Um, there, there's, um, there's lots of cool metals out there, you know, and topicals are great, whether that's ships. In fact, I, I own one. I bought at a flea market in Ohio. It's a Japanese uh, warship from like World War One era. You know, there's some really cool stuff out there in the metallic field. So any chance I can to promote that, I want to take the chance. I also, as a, as a sort of a especially funny in – uh, looking backward is a, a um, story at the bottom of the page, a minor dealer wanted by police. Now, <laughs> so, some collectors might be familiar with the term crowns and miners, meaning that, you know, in the world coin context, a crown coin is about 39 millimeters and a minor coin is one smaller than that, sometimes fractional thereof. Now, this is not a dealer in minor coinage. This was a a dealer, quote unquote, uh, the story has, 17-year-old, uh, 
of uh, from a, a parent small town or or something, not not one of the big towns I've heard of in Pennsylvania anyway, who left a trail of bouncing checks over at least three states since November first. So uh, uneasy and irate mail order customers have started to complain and blah blah. I mean, it was just um, very interesting to see that you know we had our discussion of crime and and uh, ethics, sort of uh, more crime than anything last episode. And, uh, you know, as long as there have been um, uh, as long as there have been people selling coins, uh, there have been people ripping others off. I, I like the uh, the last sentence before the story jumps inside. Uh, this dealer has advertised in coin world for seven months without several months without declaring himself as a minor and without complying with regulations dot dot dot. So um $2.50 worth of coins, uh, a customer in Michigan complained, which, you know, I, I mean, we've all lost that to our own stupidity, um, you know, but um, $2.50, that was a big deal back then. He had tallied up to $700 at least in bad checks. So, um, you know, very, very interesting uh, little story and look back at the crime escapades of one underage coin dealer back in 1960. So that's that's all I have. <laughs> Given all these YNs who want to be vest pocket dealers a bad name, come on now, you yeah. know, they're doing their thing out there. We went to the letters page and there were a couple of uh, letters on there. But while I was on the letters page, I took the time to read Dick Johnson's editorial. And uh, Dick Johnson, of course, the editor of 1960, and I liked his editorial, which said, Making New Friends. So in lieu of a letter, I'm going to read that because I like what was done. Again, I understand 62 years ago, things were different, but why not give some consideration to this? The, the column starts off, a collector in Wheeling, West Virginia, corresponds with a doctor in Ireland. A nine-year-old Los Angeles boy writes to a similarly aged boy in France. A Belgium and Iowa team keep up a weekly exchange of letters. Americans are finding a fascinating new experience writing to coin collectors in foreign lands. For the price of an eight-cent stamp, laugh at that, Americans are learning that collectors in other countries have similar interests, the same troubles, and occasionally the same good fortune finding rare coins for their collections. Few things are as universal as numismatics. A lot of knowledge rubs off in the exchange of these letters. We're learning more about our neighbors as we discuss our favorite subjects, and many times a coin has changed hands in the process. New friendships are made, better understanding is fostered as the people-to-people -people program joins two human beings in a cultural pursuit. Already in full swing, the program was created by President Eisenhower in 1956. Heads of state could meet in year-long summit meetings and still not achieve the effects of millions of people and organizations entering into their own communication. That got me thinking about that. Of course, you know, now we do have ways of communicating with people far and wide instantaneously. You don't need an eight-cent stamp to get that done. But just the idea of establishing a quote-unquote pen pal relationship with people in, in other countries of similar interests. And, you know, you, you could learn a lot from them and what their experiences are. And it's like, you know, maybe it just would also help us to understand how very fortunate we are 
to have this opportunity to do what we can do now that, you know, we're post COVID and back out to shows and starting to see things and, and, you know, having the luxury of, uh, you know, good internet connections and, and all that. We were very fortunate. And I just thought that, you know, that was emblematic of a uh, much simpler time, but certainly the idea of maintaining communication with others who had the same interests, certainly a, a worthy pursuit. And uh, I'm glad that I had a chance to see that. I mean, it's still very relevant. I mean, the methods may not be the same, but just the idea of establishing this is a communication and a connection business. And that's just something that we just need to keep in mind that we get by with a little help from our friends. And that was a good example of that right there, even back in 1960. Get by with a little help from my friends. Yeah, absolutely. You hadn't, you hadn't sung poorly in a while, so I had to give you a chance to do that. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I guess I'll stick to writing, but um, my <laughs> writing's writing's not much better than my singing. Is that what? Anyway, <laughs> but at least there are editors, so <laughs> so I can get an auto tune. What's how how expensive is that? Anyway, I, I don't know. Check your Christmas list. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know. My Christmas list includes something from you, though. You know what that is? An answer to a trivia question I'm not giving you. So, Why, why are you not giving it to me? Oh, because I, <laughs> I haven't heard the question yet. Well, you heard it last week. so. Oh, yeah. Okay. My vacation. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, well, yeah, it was, it was a while ago anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last time... I posed a question for everyone. We were talking about crime. So I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's any crime, any robbery at a U.S. Mint. And lo and behold, uh, there was an easy uh, – a story that you know jumped out really like immediately. And um, I found this really – fun to dig into and and look back at the the headline uh of i i guess a, a local paper it wasn't um there in denver uh but the headline talks about um the um sorry the uh wildest gun battle in denver history the craig courier uh well Okay, Denver, Denver Mint. So that that is the um, the answer. I guess I'm not gonna get the the answer from you because I'm telling it. <laughs> okay, that works. That's different than what I had. So go ahead. Okay. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm just ah, it's it's you know the holidays are so focused on the pie and the turkey and all that. Anyway, so. What was the story I was thinking of? Well, this was the December 1922, December 18th. So we're coming up on the centennial of this uh, oh, yeah. when when five men hijacked a Federal Reserve Bank delivery truck outside the U.S. Mint in Denver, Colorado. So, I, you know, when I heard the story, I couldn't figure out, well, what's the Federal Reserve Bank truck doing at the Mint? I mean, you know, and. Because what was stolen? Well, uh, approximately $200,000 in $5 bills. Well, the Mint doesn't make paper money. You know, a a general media um, agency might misunderstand or misinterpret uh, the Mint's goings on. But we in the hobby know that, you know, 
paper money is not quote unquote printed at the mint as quote as some people think. Uh, those that paper money is printed by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and that has been the case uh, for a long time. So, what's all that money doing at the mint? Well, I dug out. The Denver Mint, 100 Years of Gangsters, Gold, and Ghost uh, by Lisa Ray Turner and Kimberly Field. Uh, this actually, it's a really neat book. And we'd reached out to try to get the uh, authors on the podcast a long time ago. Maybe we'll this will give us another impetus to do so. But um, on that day, workers were transferring the money from the mint into a truck that was parked outside the front. The money was stored in vaults leased by the Federal Reserve inside the mint. So that explains why this paper money was there. I thought, oh, maybe it was money the mint had on hand to buy metal for their operations. Well, you know, no, this is Maybe that could have been the case. They had a, a, an arrangement or something. But anyway, that, that space was leased by the Federal Reserve. Two masked men with sawed-off shotguns jumped from the car and yelled, hands up. Other robbers shattered the truck window and snatched the packets of money. Um, chaos erupted. There was gunfire. Guard Charles T. Linton fired his revolver. Uh, but unfortunately... A shot from the gunman shattered the air. Linton collapsed, blood gushing from his body. Inside the mint, alarm shrieked on and on and on. Uh, this this is just a, a great, a riveting, you know, very 1920s, 1930s gangster style uh, narrative. You know, it's like this, see? Stray bullets through the air, see? You know, I mean, you, you can just imagine this is in some sort of, you know, Al Capone type movie. So the bloody affair was over in 90 seconds. The robbers got away with $200,000, the equivalent of $2 million in today's money, according to the book from 2007. So, you know, what is that to even now? Obviously, uh, uh more than that. So the interesting bit of this story is that nobody was ever charged for this robbery. Now, they they weren't uh, police weren't able to identify other than one person later that they found um uh, weren't able to identify in the immediate aftermath any any of the people involved, but apparently there was five men and two women uh, conspired to this, and the the only person that died as a uh, result of this was a gangster by the name of Nicholas Chaw Jimmy Trainer. How's that nickname? And and his body was found um, like three and a half weeks later, January fourteenth, nineteen twenty three. Uh, body was found in the getaway car after they had both been dumped in a garage there in Denver. And uh, police had suspicions that one Harvey Bailey, who had worked with Trainer in the past, uh, and may have been involved in this uh, escapade. And um, Interestingly, on February 17th, about a month after Trainer's body was found, Minnesota authorities raided an abandoned hideout, and the Secret Service recovered $80,000 from the Denver Mint robbery, as well as $73,000 in bonds stolen from a bank robbery in Walnut Hills, Ohio, three months prior to the Mint robbery. So, 
both Trainer and this Harvey Bailey guy had been suspects in the Walnut Hills robbery. So them finding this cash from the Denver Mint robbery, you know, people, the, the police got, OK, you know, this is all related. Uh, Bailey disappeared in late 1922, was eventually arrested and convicted in 1933. However, I think that may have been for some other thing. Anyway, it's all an amazing mess, a a fun story. Obviously, we can look back now and, and say how fun it is. But that's not the only theft from a U.S. Mint. What were you thinking of, Larry? No, that that kind of was what I was thinking of. I just had the wrong names on some folks. I mean, there, I know that there were some inside jobs uh, that were done in Philadelphia. There were a couple of those. And obviously outside the country, the one that had my biggest uh, was one that happened in 1982, relatively recently, was over at the Perth Mint, where there was a theft of 49 gold bars. And I think it was three brothers that were accused of it. And they, I think they were, their convictions were overturned and it's an unsolved mystery at this time. So, I mean, there've been, uh, there've been inside jobs. We had a situation we we covered recently where a, from error coins were taken from the mint, from some, from an employee who was disciplined and uh, Paul, Paul jokes covered that story. So it happens. So nothing to the magnitude of $200,000 and gunshots and all that. So So, uh, another robbery there in Denver, which um, Turner and Field uh, write about as well, um, was around the same era, certainly um, that around that time. I I don't know. I don't see they have a, a, a date on it exactly. But um, (laughs) Orville Harrington is the name of another one, and uh, he was about as far from the image of a 20s gangster as you can get. No guns hidden in a violin case or double-breasted pinstripe suit for this guy. He was a recluse uh, who rarely left home except to go to work, where he worked at the U.S. Mint. Dutifully, eight hours a day, and then he'd spend his weekends puttering around his garden. His only distinguishing feature was his uneven gait and the way his body sagged to one side when he walked. He'd been shot in the hip during a hunting accident when he was 11, and the incident doomed him to a lifetime of pain. His leg was amputated two years after the accident, and he had worn a wooden leg since that time. Therein lies the tale, and maybe the gold. So uh, as the book relates, Orville made the princely sum of $4 a day with a monthly bonus of $20. At some point, he obviously became frustrated with that uh, and, and maybe limitations of his disability. And he just began walking out of the mint with gold bars, one per day. He planned the embezzlement well, timing the thefts in the intervals between inventories um, he even devised a plan to use the gold. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you start showing up with, uh, some, you know, eight pound bricks of gold that are seven inches by three inches and one inches thick. Where did this come from? Well, <laughs> he decided that he would lease an abandoned mine there in Colorado and melt the gold and claim that it came from the mine. <laughs> 
Over a five-month period, he stole 53 bars worth $81,400. Adjusted for inflation, that's $828,000. How does someone walk out of the mint with a bar of gold? Uh, Certainly in today's world, that's not happening. But um, the authors speculate that given his wooden leg and his compromised gait, that he was able to slip past and looked, you know, nothing looked amiss um, as uh, as he was leaving the mint. So uh, that was that was uh, crazy. He was finally caught on February fourth, nineteen twenty, as he was leaving work for the day, uh, confessing to the crime, showing the authorities where he'd hid the gold, which uh, was in the garden, so, and his wife was. Rather shocked uh, for this development, and uh, so yeah, that was that was fun. I, I like how the um, the the chapter with this these stories also includes a recipe for prohibition punch. So I'm I might have to try that this festive season, and I can raise a glass to Orville Harrington and to Harvey Bailey and to Jimmy Trainer and and all these other rascals and scoundrels uh, that are out there. <laughs> Well, we've got about five minutes left here. So do you have anything uh, as far as a new question for me since I kind of let you answer that question? Maybe I can trick you into answering your next one, too. No, this one, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. But, you know, since we just had Thanksgiving here, uh, you know, there's nothing more. Nothing says Thanksgiving more than the 1920 and 1921 Pilgrim Tercentenary coins. Right. Indeed. Landing of the Pilgrims at Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1620. You know, then they had the um, uh, the the celebration and all that. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's we have. And we look, we probably talked about this at least one or two other years of this podcast. But um, I wasn't going to go back and, and try to figure that out. So in this case, we know the coins exist. Do you know, and this is a real gimme, a real gimme, what are the design motifs on the obverse? What's on the obverse and what's on the reverse? And why are they notable or important? What do they, what does this coin depict? And uh, there you go. So it's it's a gimme. It's a layup. It's kind of an easy one, I think. But well, I'm, uh, I, I'm thankful for that. So. And and we are thankful if you've made it through these last 40 minutes uh, and are still here with us. We're thankful uh, for you. We wish you nothing but the best this festive season. And uh, we will be back again soon with a, another good big episode of the Coin World podcast. Maybe we'll even have a thrilling guest or two uh, in the next few weeks that uh, you've got to listen to. There's lots of great stuff we're working on. Uh, But in the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. CoinWorld Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinWorld Plus at CoinWorldPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.